chapter 15, if you would, this morning. John chapter 15, we're returning there again. We will for the next two weeks as well. Hope that you're planning on joining us for the prayer and fasting over the next 21 days. That begins uh, tomorrow. And uh, looking forward to what God will do and say to us and challenge us with and change us, all of those things that happen. We set aside time to really seek Him. And uh, we encourage you to join us for prayer during the daytime. Uh, the sanctuary will be open, and I'd just love to have you um, engage that with us uh, these next three weeks. John 15, these are the words of Jesus. Beginning in verse number one, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, because of the word which I have spoken to you abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me." I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, verse 11, I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Father, I thank you for your presence so obvious in this gathering today. And Lord, um, we want to humble ourselves, reverence ourselves before you, and we want to hear from you. Take just a moment, Lord, and pray also for um, Lance Locke today. God, you uh, know his need, and we pray, God, that you would touch him right now, strengthen him, protect him, keep him whole, we pray. And Father, I ask that in these next few minutes that you would supernaturally captivate our attention this word today is a challenging word. It is, um, it is a strong word. It is a convicting word. It has depth to it. It will take us places that some of us have never gone before. But it will bring us, if we will obey it, heed it, embrace it, engage it and apply it, it will bring us into a deeper walk with you than we have ever known before. And I pray that this congregation, those in this room, those watching online, have a desire to walk closer to you than ever before. To those who aren't interested in that, this will not be interesting to them. But to those who want to know you, those who really want to know you, God, may they open their hearts, may we open our hearts today to hear your word. Holy Spirit, I pray for your anointing again. I know I say it every week, but not because I deserve it, I don't, but because I need it. And I ask God that you would anoint me to speak your word with clarity. And even though there's much to cover, help us to quickly receive that word and allow it to assimilate into our lives, to become engrafted in our souls. 
Touch us, change us, transform us by your word and by your spirit today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we began last week, we, we talked about last week the experience of abiding in Jesus, abiding in Christ. Um, and I said last week that this kind of relationship with God is sadly rare among believers today. It's rarely undertaken a pursuit of really abiding in Christ. We try to follow him, try to follow his teaching, but we fail to abide in him. Let me just very quickly, by way of four or five bullet points, review what we talked about last week. Number one, just as the branches connected to the vine cannot produce fruit unless they're connected to the vine, so are we spiritually impotent if we don't stay connected to Jesus. Can't bear fruit unless we abide in him. Secondly, um, some learn to visit Christ, but they fail to abide in him. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, I'm abiding somewhere. Where am I abiding? Where's the place I go to to hang out? Is it my cynicism, my rebellion, my doubt, my fear, my worry, my anxiety, or do I abide in Jesus? Thirdly, abiding in Christ will produce fruit, but it also entails the pruning work. That means he has to cut some things off of us that don't look like him. He has to prune us. And remember we said you never see a branch pruning another branch. It's not your job to prune someone else, even though many of us would love that job. How many would love that job? All right? It's not our job to prune somebody else. It's his. But if we bear fruit, we're also going to be pruned. Number four, we learn to abide in Christ as we spend time in his word, as we spend time in prayer, and as we reflect, we talked about upon the ordinances. What does baptism, what does communion mean? They're reminders of our connection to him or our connectivity to him. Number five, this truth of abiding in him was of paramount importance to Jesus. It's the last thing he said. These were the last words of Jesus. I want you to abide in me. Today I want to drill down on just two of these verses, verses seven and eight. Let me read them to you again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. These are the two verses I want to hang out with or at or in for the next 25 minutes or so. Abide in me and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. There's a lot in those two verses we're going to look at. Let me begin by just making six very quick observations. I have six observations and four points. That's how preachers work. You may say, I have 10 points. I only have six observations and four points. Let me give you the observations first of all. Number one, when we learn to abide in Christ and his words abide in us, we live as close to Christ as one may live. Can't get any closer to Jesus than abiding in him. That should be your goal. That should be my goal. That should be our desire. You don't get any closer to him than abiding in him. Frederick Godet, who was a 19th century theologian, says, it is the continuous act by which a Christian lays aside everything he might draw from his own wisdom, strength, and merit to desire or to derive all from Christ by the inward aspiration of faith. Abiding in Christ means I give up anything that I might know and bring to the table, and everything I bring to the table I draw 
from him. That's the closest relationship with Christ we can ever find. Number two, it is true that prayer is one of the means by which we abide in Christ. But this particular text speaks more to the reality that prayer is the fruit of abiding in Christ. That is, that prevailing prayer or prayer that bears fruit. Now, we abide in him by learning to pray. But this particular text says that when we abide in him, prayer is actually a a release of that abiding. But it's prayer that's not just throwing things out in the air with this 97-page list. It's prayer that's pinpoint accurate because it's praying the will of God. That happens when we abide with him. Number three, it is not the kind of prayer that assumes that just because we learn a new aspect about inviting Christ, we can automatically experience it with a simple prayer. But instead it learns how to tarry in secret prayer until the truth becomes deeply settled in the soul. This is not something that we, we learn, we walk out of here and we pray this little formula of prayer and all of a sudden everything happens. It is, I'm learning now to abide in him. I have to let that thing settle into my heart and my spirit before I'm actually praying the way God wants me to pray. Number four, actually, let me read you this quote before I move on to number four. Charles Erdman says this, one who is united with Christ in trustful obedience, one who meditates upon his word, one who is guided by his indwelling spirit will be led to pray for the success of the divine work in his own experience and in the world, and for prayer so originating there is no limit to its power. In other words, when I learn to pray because I'm abiding in Christ, the prayer that I pray, again, will not just be that 95-page list of things I want. I'll be praying the will of God. I'll, I'll, I'll be praying what I know he desires because I'm abiding with him and I understand his will better. And so that prayer becomes more effective. Number four, this text indicates that no matter how feeble our soul's abiding may be, the prayer will be heard as one of the means to a deeper abiding. So you you may say, my prayers are really pitiful, but if you'll learn to pray and abide with him, it will deepen your abiding experience. Number five, prayer here is not so much about getting our blessing. That's the problem with Christians' prayer in America today. Get my blessing for ourselves, but prayer here is a means to to dispense the blessings of God to the world. This is the much fruit that Jesus speaks of, and this is what brings glory to the Father. And then number six, prevailing prayer is not about the intensity of our prayer or the great discernment we seek to achieve or even the great faith we try to conjure up. It's about imbibing in him so that our prayers ascend as his prayer. So abiding in him that it's not me getting real intense, it's I'm abiding in him and my prayer ascends like it's his. That is why if we abide in him, that's why we can ask what we will and it'll be given to us. It's not because I have this list of 95 pages and there's some things on there I really want. If I get really intense, I get them. It's if I abide in him, then I'm praying his will. And it's not about my intensity. It's about being connected to him. And so I'm praying what he wants. And so there is accomplishment in that prayer. How many want to get to that point in your walk with Jesus? That's what abiding looks like when we talk about prayer. Now, those are the six observations and you're all hoping that the four points go just as quickly. Look at me for just a moment. They will not, all right? Four points. Now, number one, four statements of truth. When we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we learn how to pray 
in accordance with the will of God. Again, Merrill Tinney says his words abiding in us means that there's a constant acceptance of the authority of his word in our lives. When his word abides in me, that's, I'm taking it in daily, and it's abiding in me, then I begin to accept the authority of this word in my life. This is God's word to me. And as I abide in it, it becomes realistically the authority in my life. I surrender and I submit to it. People who are not abiding in Christ when they pray may have a long prayer list, but it'll look like I want this job and I want this car and I want this home and I want this relationship to work and not that those can never be on our prayer list. But when I abide in him and his words abide in me, this becomes the authority over my life. And so I am shaped into one that seeks his will and his design for my life. His word is to believe. I believe it's truth. I believe it must be obeyed. I believe this word, listen, please get this, it's a little heavy this morning, but I believe this word must overcome my will. How, how many honestly say that left to your own devices, sometimes your will would not be God's will? How many would raise your hand? Uh, come on, everybody, just raise your hand. Please just work with me. You all would. I would. If left to our own devices. So we need something to overcome our will. When his word abides in us, it becomes the authority that overcomes that will. So this abiding is to surrender to that word, even when it challenges my desires or my longings. Our self-will is kept down, and the wishes of our human nature are brought into captivity to the word of Christ. This is what Paul means in 2 Corinthians chapter. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, capturing that thought of your will. I want this. I want this to work out for me. I want things to go this way. That's your will. Capturing every thought to the obedience of Christ to the authority of God's word. So when I abide in him and his word abides in me, I learn how to pray in accordance with God's will because I am surrendered to the authority of God's word. Psychological operations. It's a term, a warfare tactic that is old as war itself. Alexander the Great, when he retreated from an army would tell his men to make shields that were like seven and eight feet tall and make armor that looked like they belonged to a giant and leave them behind. That way, when the attacking army saw them, they would say, oh my goodness, we don't want to fight against that group because look at the size of their shields. Look at the size of their armor. And so he would push back enemies that would have pursued because of this psychological operation. Satan loves to make sin look better to you and me than it really is. He loves to make us doubt his word. 
He'll say to us, if you obey it, things won't go well for you. If you tithe, you're going to go broke. If you obey God in this relationship, they're going to leave you. That's psychological operations. But when I'm abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in me, I take those thoughts captive and I submit myself under the authority of the word of God. You see, abiding in Christ and his word abiding in me sanctifies my will so that I can ask whatever I will and it will be done. But I have to abide in him and his word has to abide in me or my will won't be sanctified and I'll just be throwing darts like crazy with my prayer list but accomplishing nothing for the kingdom. Say amen if you believe that. Number two, so when we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we learn to seek only the glory of the Father when we pray. Look again, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. Notice when Jesus promises to answer prayer, his one thought is this, by this, by this answer to prayer, my Father will be glorified. You realize when Jesus was on earth, that's all he thought about was the Father's glory. In John chapter 9, remember the blind man? And they said, Is he, did he sin or his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. In John 11, when he's standing by the tomb of Lazarus and he's praying, they take the stone away and Jesus lifts up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you hear me always, but I want these people to know that you've heard me and that you have sent me. I want you to be glorified. In John chapter 12, he says, my soul is now troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause or purpose I came this hour. Listen to what Jesus says. Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven said, I both glorified and I'll glorify it again. And in John 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son can glorify you. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. And what was his prayer in Gethsemane? Not my will, but your will be done. Look at me for just a moment. The intercession of Jesus in heaven is no different than it was when he was on earth. How many believe Jesus is interceding for us? He is praying for us. The Bible says he lives forever to make intercession. So he is still praying that the Father be glorified. As we abide in him and his word abides in us, the thought that consumes us is only your glory, Father. I want you to be, it's not about me being glorified. Listen, that's not the natural place to go. That's not in my human nature. That's not in your human nature. But when I abide in him and his word abides in me, we will start saying only your glory, Father. At first, we may be afraid to even ask him for anything. Is this his will? Will he be glorified in this? But as we grow, our abiding, in our abiding, and we have accepted the supremacy of his word over our lives, we learn to not only seek his glory, but to discern what will be for God's glory and what may instead just be a distraction. That's the place we need to strive to get to. 
In Jules, Verne, Jules Verne's novel, The Mysterious Island, he tells about five men who escape a Civil War prison camp by hijacking a hot air balloon. And as they rise into the air, they realize the wind is carrying them over the ocean. And watching their homeland disappear on the horizon, they wonder how much longer will this hot air balloon stay aloft? As the hours pass, the surface of the ocean gets closer to the basket. The basket is drooping. And so they decide they need to cast overboard some of the weights because they had no way to heat the hot air balloon. They throw over shoes and overcoats, weapons. They reluctantly discard them all. And they feel the balloon rise a little bit, but only temporarily. Soon they find themselves dangerously close again to the water and the waves, and so they toss their food. Better to be high, not, you know, yeah. Those online, yes, I said it. Better to be high and hungry. I understand when you are high, you are hungry, is what I understand. Better be, I only understand that, that's all. Better be high and hungry than drown on a full belly. Some of you woke up for the first time this morning. Glad for you. Unfortunately, this too is only a temporary solution. And the craft again threatens to lower the men into the sea. But one man has an idea they can cut... They can tie the, the ropes that hold the passenger car, that little basket, and they can sit on the ropes. They can cut away the basket beneath them. And so they sever the very thing that they've been standing on, and it drops to the ocean and the balloon rises. And not a minute too soon, they spot land. Eager to stand on firm ground again, the five jump in the water, they swim to the island. They live spared because, listen, they were able to discern the difference between what really was needed and what was not. The necessities they once thought they could not live without were the very weights that almost cost them their lives. That's why the Hebrews writer says, throw aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that's set before you. When I abide in him and his word abides in me, I throw aside the stuff that doesn't bring him glory. And I walk in a relationship with him that is closer than any that I can walk in. Let me give you number three, very quickly. When we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we can fully avail ourselves of his name. One chapter before, Jesus has said this in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's one chapter before. We often try to argue ourselves into enough faith to use his name. But we're not really living in his name. You cannot sever this promise from this, this whatever we desire. We can't sever that from the command, whatever you do, do it in his name. Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, if I am going to say, I'm going to use your name and avail your name so that I can receive this promise, I better be doing everything I do in his name. His name, if his name is to be at my disposal in prayer, I must put myself fully at his disposal 
so that he has free and full command of me. That's why his word needs to abide in me. And I let his word be authority over me, and I submit myself to it. I have now put myself at his disposal. Whatever I do, I do in his name, so that now I can fully avail myself of his name when I pray. The father never refused the son, but I must learn to be in the son and him in me. Being in Christ and his word being in me renews the desire to pray but also secures the full merits of the power to ask. If I abide in him and his word abides in me and supersedes my will, then I can ask what I will and it will be done because my will will have been sanctified by his word that's abiding in me and I will have power in my prayer life. And number four, when we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we are kept in the place where the answer can be realized. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Look at this last line. So you will be my disciples. That's an important line so you will be my disciples. I'll be kept in a place where I can hear the answer. I'll be his disciple. I'll be near him. William Wilberforce said this, the title of Christian is a reproach to us if we turn ourselves away from him after whom we are named. The name of Jesus is not to be to us like Allah of the Mohammedans or like talisman or an amulet worn on the arm as an external badge and the symbol of a profession thought to preserve one from evil by some mysterious and unintelligible potency. Instead, we should allow the name of Jesus to be engraved deeply on the heart, written there by the finger of God himself in everlasting characters. It is our sure and undoubted title to present peace and future glory. It's not about spitting out the name of Jesus when I'm in a difficult time. It's about wearing his name on my heart. It's about abiding in him and his word abiding in me. If we don't abide in him and his word doesn't abide in us, when God comes to answer the prayer, we may not even be found. If we don't abide in him and he comes, so you will be my disciples if you do this. You'll be close to me if you do this. Abiding in Christ is the place to receive answers to prayer. Is your prayer for greater influence in the kingdom? Is it for greater spiritual grace to be spread and revealed? G. Campbell Morgan says this, I love this, any prayer which does not react upon my life and make it more fruit-bearing is no prayer at all. That prayer doesn't do something in your life. Listen, think about how we pray sometimes. Just this long laundry list of things we want. If prayer doesn't react on our life and make my life bear more fruits, it is no prayer at all. It will only be found as you abide in him and his word abides in you. 
Pastor Clay, if you want to come, I think Lori is going to come help us as well. Um, while they're coming, let me just read you this story. I shared this story before. It's been some time, but Stuart Briscoe was a longtime pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. He tells this story. He said, many years ago during the Cold War, he said, I traveled to Poland for several weeks of itinerant ministry. One winter day, my sponsors drove me in the dead of night to the middle of nowhere. He said, I walked in this dilapidated building crammed with 100 young people in Poland. It's frigid, but I realized it was a unique opportunity. And so he says this, through an interpreter, I preached from John 15, abiding in Christ. 10 minutes into my message, all the lights went out. It was dark. My interpreter urged me, he says, to keep talking. Unable to see my notes or read my Bible, I just continued. And after I'd preached in the dark for 20 minutes, the lights came back on. And what I saw startled me. Everyone was on their knees and they remained there for the rest of my message. The next day I commented, commented on this to one man and he said, after you left, we stayed on our knees most of the night. He said, your teaching was new to us. We wanted to make sure that we were abiding in Christ. How badly do you want to abide in Christ and his word abide in you? We used to sing this old song. We're going to sing it for you, with you. How many remember constantly abiding? You remember it goes something like this. Constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. Constantly me he never leaves me lonely he whispers oh so calm that I will never leave we're to sing the verses for you in just a moment we had to teach pastor Clayton this I didn't know he didn't know this song but Evidently, he came from a church not as spiritual as old glad tidings. But I, uh, I remember, uh, Terry, I remember your dad leading this song hundreds of times. And uh, I want you to hear the verses. And uh, if you know it, sing along. But think about the words. There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave. A peace that it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I've a peace that has come here to stay. Listen to the second verse. All the world seems to sing of a Savior and King. With peace sweetly came to my heart. Troubles all fled, 
troubles all fled away, and my night turned to day. Blessed Jesus, how glorious Thou art. And then listen to this third verse. This treasure I have in a temple of clay, while here on His footstool I roam. How many are looking forward to this, buddy? But He's coming to take me some glorious day over there to my head. Would you stand? Sing the chorus constantly, abiding, sing. Constantly abiding, Jesus is mine. Constantly abiding, raptured divine. He never leaves me alone. Oh, he whispers, oh. For the most part, when we think about saints or heroes of the faith, we think of people who are altogether, altogether different than we are. You know, those big spiritual giants. You think about abiding in Christ, we think about people that seem to be powerful in their lives. They uh, seem to be able to do things that we think we can't do. They seem to embody a quality of communion with God that almost seems unattainable by the rest of us. If we really look closely, we find that most of the great saints are just ordinary people who in the midst of their daily living have learned to discover and react throughout the day to the presence of God. I, I read a story this week about Billy Graham and uh, he was going to some television show and uh, it was a morning show and they said to his assistant, we'll give him a room. We're certain that Reverend Graham will want to pray. And he said, "That's thank you, but we won't need that room. And they said, doesn't he want to pray? And his assistant said, you don't understand. Reverend Graham was praying when he got up this morning. He was praying while he was getting ready. He's praying as he drove here. He's praying right now, and he'll probably be praying right through your interview as well. In other words, Billy Graham had come to a place where he understood you can interact with the presence of God at all times. There was a man by the name of Nicholas Herman. His life seemed much like our own. He had a number of jobs in his life. He started out in the military. 
and then in the transportation industry, and then he found work in food service industry, serving as a short order cook and a bottle washer. Eventually, Nicholas became so deeply discouraged by his life, he spent a lot of time like us, thinking things like, am I saved? That question burrowed deep in his soul. He struggled deeply with worry until one day when everything changed, everything changed. On that day, he was looking at a tree, not the most thrilling exercise, but something occurred to him that what makes a tree flourish is not self-reliance, but it's rootedness in something other than and deeper than itself. With this in mind, Nick began an experiment to have a habitual, silent, secret conversation of the soul with God. And today we know Nick as Brother Lawrence, whose book, The Practice of the Presence of God, has become a spiritual classic. Sitting on my bookshelf, where I've read it two or three times, and it continues to beckon us to a deeper, more intimate relationship with God, 300 years after it was written. How determined are you to abide in Christ? How serious are we about living in this most intimate of relationships with him? Bow your head with me, if you would. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that we don't get to this point and stop. I believe, God, that you are indeed tugging at the hearts of people in this room, inviting them to walk more deeply with you, to learn what it means to abide in you and your word to abide in them so that they can ask what they will, not to consume it on their own lust, but their will sanctified by the word that they've submitted to will seek the Father's glory and the Father will be glorified in answered prayer. Teach us how to abide in you, I pray in Jesus' name. Your head's still bowed for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to respond to the message in just a moment. Let me first ask you if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. You've never surrendered your life to Him. You've never prayed and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And as good as I try to be, I will never be good enough to stand before you on Judgment Day until I give my life to Jesus. And today, I don't want to just know about Jesus. I don't just want to talk about him. I don't want to just hear about him. I want to give my life to him and surrender my life to him. I want to serve him the rest of my life. Is there anyone in this room that would raise a hand and say, I don't know him. He's not my Lord today. But when I walk out of here, I want to make certain that Jesus is my Lord. Anyone in this room that would say, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus today. I'm going to give you just a moment. Anyone in this room? anyone in this place let me ask you a second question then if you're here today you're a christian but you say i really sense the holy spirit is calling me calling me to a deeper level of abiding in him i want to abide like i have never abode before i want to be in an intimate walk with him i want my will sanctified by his word 
And I just want to raise my hand and say, would you pray for me? That's where I want to be today. How many would raise your hand all across this room? God, you see our hearts. I pray, Lord, this will not be a message that we'll walk out and say, no, can't wait to hear what he has to say next week. But God, instead that this will resonate in our hearts all week long. God, that it will come back to us, that we will walk out of this place more determined to learn what it means to abide in you, to walk in that ongoing, that ongoing conversation and engagement with your presence every moment of our lives. Make that real in us today, I pray. In Jesus' name. Let's worship him. Alders are always open. If you'd like to, to take a few moments, you certainly can come. Let's just worship the Lord.